guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I'd like to thank my sponsors, PML Construction, SRP Environmental, CCS Group, Make You Safe Wearable Technology, and the Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group. Check out the episode notes and find their websites or contact information. Check them out and give them a call if they can help you out. Thank you for your support, guys. We sincerely appreciate it. Now on with the episode. It is Friday, June 16th, uh, coming to you from Omaha, Nebraska. Um, it's going to be a hot one. So uh, water, rest, shade, as we say in the business. Uh, just a couple of current events I want to catch you up on before we get started. No guest in the studio today. And actually, Pat Safford in the booth, so I make no guarantees about the quality of this production. But um, we did the bike with Mike ride last weekend, the charity event uh, that I mentioned a few times on the program, and it was uh, really tremendous. I enjoyed it very much. Got to ride with my wife and brother and sister-in-law and nephew and niece and great nephew, and uh, it was really enjoyable. We had a good day somewhat overcast, which is always nice for biking. And um, yeah, so it's interesting how you how you leave with a, a certain feeling of um, accomplishment or contribution maybe is a better term. When you do something that isn't entirely self-motivated, uh, something like that, a charity event or something similar, I think the satisfaction that you get from that is much different than the satisfaction that you might get from just doing something for yourself. So um, I enjoyed that. Um, secondly, second current event, it is opening day of the College World Series here in Omaha, Nebraska. So if you are a baseball fan, uh, specifically a college baseball fan, you're probably aware of that. And there will be two games today. Should be hotter than hell. I think it's interesting because these teams come from all over the country. We have teams from California. We have teams from the East Coast. We have teams from down south. Uh, they come from all, our, all parts of the country, which is really cool. And their fans get to see Omaha. Some of them are familiar and others are not, perhaps. Teams that haven't been here for quite a long time. But the weather this time of year in Omaha is always interesting. We have... Um, Beautiful days, of course. Yesterday, for example, was a beautiful day. Today is supposed to be pretty hot, but sunny. And then over the course of the next two weeks, we will undoubtedly get um, thunderstorms, rain events, maybe severe weather. There are occasionally a tornado or two. So it's always interesting to see uh, the reaction and the looks on the faces of people who are not familiar with Midwest weather. So that's kind of a treat. Uh, and we will try to get down to a game. I think this weekend we'll try to get down to a game and participate. Uh, I'm not a huge baseball fan. Um, there are a couple of local guys playing in the pros right now. I think one kid with the Astros and one kid with the Phillies, if I'm not mistaken. And so I do try to keep up with them from time to time to see how they're doing. It's I, I really require a connection to sports in, in order to be involved with sports. I am not a huge sports watcher i would much rather watch a movie than i would watch a a game typically if i have no connection to the game or no interest in the game but i do try to follow those two kids um i'm not a huge fan of pro sports in general but you know it is what it is that's a conversation for another time perhaps but the college world series is always interesting and we typically get on board with a team you pick a team maybe there's a team that you have some 
familiarity or connection to. And so this year, I have decided to root for Oral Roberts, okay? Um, of the eight teams, I think Oral Roberts, um, while they're obviously very good, I think they are one of the lesser-known teams. They are certainly not a Florida or LSU or Virginia, one of those outfits, or Stanford, for example. So, uh, And Oral Roberts was is located in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and some of you might be aware that I went to the University of Tulsa, so even though those are separate institutions um, academically and philosophically and geographically, Oral Roberts is located in the rich part of Tulsa and the University of Tulsa is not where I spent my time. But nonetheless, uh, they are an underdog of sorts and I think I'm on board with uh, Oral Roberts this year. So go um, whatever the hell they're called. I don't even know what their mascot is. The Oral something. Anyway, um, yeah, so the College World Series uh, is exciting. If you've not been, you should check it out. So my conversation today is about uh, a concept that I just made up called compliance bias. Um, I've been reading this book by Todd Conklin called Workplace Fatalities, Failure to Predict, and uh, again, Todd Conklin is the author. I've been reading a lot of Todd Conklin. Uh, I, I'm not sure that I would necessarily call myself a Todd Conklin fanboy, perhaps, but there are a number of these safety differently, safety to, uh, just different approach to safety proponents. And I try to read and uh, explore a lot of their different uh, philosophies and um, discussions, but Conklin seemed to resonate with me. And so I'm working with a couple of companies right now that have experienced fatalities, unfortunately. And uh, so I thought this was something that I had better review. And uh, I'm about three quarters of the way through the book, so I can't comment on the book specifically. But he talks a lot about a thing that he refers to as prevention bias rather than what he would prefer or at least suggest uh, recovery bias. And so prevention bias is this dogma that we have developed about preventing incidents and of course he addresses the challenges within that approach trying to predict and prevent which is incredibly difficult and so i want to talk a little bit about compliance bias and this is something that i see all the time and i and i that i actually uh, I actually experience because of my background with OSHA and my background uh, doing OSHA compliance type work that I inherently demonstrate a compliance bias as well. But the compliance bias being our fixation and our compulsion to be compliant and perhaps at the expense of other aspects of our safety and health program. And so I think this is an interesting and very real phenomenon. It was interesting because Fridays I tend to do my podcast. I tend to do other work related to outreach and education, and I do some LinkedIn stuff, which is my only social media connection. Um, I am I correspond with a gentleman by the name of Michael Rubin, who is an attorney, uh, an OSHA attorney, and he has some very interesting posts. And the first thing this morning when I was preparing to come in and discuss this compliance bias, I saw one of Michael's posts, and he was referring to the fact that he has litigated four or five different OSHA cases over the last six months. 
And the one thing that he has found to be incredibly important from the standpoint of that litigation is documentation. And that's interesting because the one complaint that I get from most people that I work with relating to OSHA is this enormous burden of documentation, the burden that documentation places on their efforts as safety professionals. And so I think this is interesting. I think this is challenging for us, this obsession with compliance. So, but I have to admit that much of my business is related to OSHA compliance. People will call and ask if me or one of my colleagues can do an OSHA compliant compliance audit, for example, or assessment. Can you tell us where we are and where we are not compliant with the OSHA regulations? And that is certainly something that we can do, uh, and we do that often. And I believe that being compliant is important. I'm not suggesting otherwise. I think that it is one of many elements of our safety and health efforts that is important. But I do think that when we bring this compliance bias to the forefront, when we are fixated on compliance or compliance issues, then we can miss things, specifically those things that Conklin is referring to in this Workplace Fatalities uh, book, that that are important and that um, might even be more meaningful from an overall safety and health standpoint. So let's talk about that just a little bit. Um, I go through facilities and I look for unsafe conditions. And I, you know, I look for things that would certainly be OSHA vulnerabilities. Okay, this is something that OSHA could cite versus this is something that might just be a best practice. And so that might include things like, oh, I'm walking through a facility in my head right now. So I'm, I'm, although I don't like doing this, I'm checking fire extinguishers, doing that monthly inspection of fire extinguishers, just the visual. And I'm testing eyewashes to make sure that the eyewashes are functioning correctly, that they're flowing well, et cetera, that they're accessible. I'm making sure that exit routes aren't blocked. I'm making sure that Equipment is guarded correctly, that the guards have not been removed. I'm doing things like that from a compliance standpoint. And the, the, the employees see me doing this, and they take note of that, I, I suppose. And at the end of a walk that I did recently, I, I approached a couple of guys that were standing there just kind of taking a little break. They were outside. It was hot, and they were taking a little break. And I and we were talking about what I do. And I said, yeah, I come through once a month, your your employer has requested that I come through once a month and that I do this compliance assessment. And I'm looking primarily for these um, violative conditions, okay? And I'm also looking at work activities, work procedures to the extent that I see them. And I, you know, I'm looking at behaviors as well, but, you know, my report will be primarily focused on the fact that I found these violations and they will be corrected and they will move on, okay? And I asked the guys, you know, what is it that scares you about the work that you do? Or where do you see potential issues or incidents arising with the work that you perform? And both of these guys voiced concerns about things that I've never even seen. You know, for the few hours that I'm in this workplace once a month, I see certain things. I gravitate to unlabeled containers. You know, I write down unlabeled containers. We need to label. I ask these guys, what's in this container? They always know. They know what's in the container. 
Okay. They're the ones that put it in the container or they're the ones that use the container. They know it's in the container. I don't as a visitor typically know what's in the container, but I'm not ultimately concerned that they don't know what's in the container or they don't know the hazards of the chemicals they use, but OSHA wants those containers to be labeled. So we mark it on the report. The things that they brought to my attention are activities that to this point over a couple of years, you know, two hours a month, once a month. So I've been in that facility 24 hours in the last, you know, 12 months. I have never seen, and they were talking about how, particularly in the summer, when temperatures are high, there are some pressure-related issues, some expansion contraction issues that the expansion and this creation of pressure causes injury potentials when they're doing certain activities. And I'm looking at those activities thinking, wow, there are absolutely no controls in place. And so, you know, rather than this compliance bias or even this prevention bias, trying to identify and prevent bad outcomes, what Conklin talks about and what what I think is really important that we consider is control bias. We need to focus on recovery if we have an incident, or rather when we have an incident, is our system designed to recover well from that incident, tolerate that incident, if you will, and uh, allow us to fail more safely, more gently. Um, I thought that was interesting. And I'm looking at these activities that these these young men have described for me, and I realize there are no controls in place for these activities because, at least in my mind, they have never come up before. And so I think that we need to be cautious about compliance bias and even compliance fatigue. I think that, you know, I walk through these faci- facilities And certainly the first time I walk through, we do a very thorough assessment of compliance issues and vulnerabilities. And then as you go through more periodically, you've addressed some of these issues. And I start to walk by some of those issues myself, where, you know, the first time when I'm doing that thorough audit, everything gets identified that I that I see. Going forward after that, then things that I might personally consider less consequential, less relevant. They may not even make the list the second time or the third time or the fourth time. And I think that that is a phenomenon that we could refer to as compliance fatigue, just like the documentation aspect. You know, Mr. Rubin was talking about the importance of documentation, particularly in litigation. And I don't disagree with that. The The documentation is really important when we're trying to establish patterns of employer due diligence, things like that, training, all of those kind of things when there is some question brought and we need to establish that. But to a person, I've never met anybody that said, I wish there was more documentation required by OSHA. You know, it's just overwhelming the amount of documentation that we are expected to maintain. And even those situations where we don't have to have documentation, for example, the daily forklift inspections, There is no requirement in that 1910-178 regulation to generate daily inspection checklists. But we do that because I think we realize that in the absence of any documentation, uh, it becomes much easier for the agency to establish potential violations. And so we document everything, and it just becomes incredibly burdensome. I'm not even sure it's possible 
for a safety person, our designated safety coordinator or safety manager, whomever that might be, to manage the amount of documentation that we are talking about when we talk about legal sufficiency. So we go from this compliance bias and prevention bias to more of a control recovery bias. Do we have controls in place? And so I would suggest to you, and I guess in closing, my comment would be that, you know, compliance is important. Certainly, we want to be compliant. We need to be compliant. The consequences can be fairly severe if we are not compliant. But that is just one element, one aspect of our safety and health management system. We also need to be cognizant of those things that are actually injuring our employees and try to address those to the extent we can. And then we need to try to identify these hazardous energies where we have employees interacting with high energy hazard potential for uh, whether that be machine guarding or falls or some type of electrical exposure or chemical reactions or, you know, incompatibilities where we have flammable chemicals in the presence of ignition sources, those types of things and make sure that we have control strategies in place to address those things. We know we have flammables on our sites, for example. We know we have fall potentials on our sites, for example. And as Conklin mentions in the book, <coughs> excuse me, um, we don't wear fall protection when we're on a roof because we might fall. We, we have no idea when that fall is going to occur. You know, you could be on a roof a thousand times over and never have a fall. So predicting when we fall and what initiates that fall is very difficult. We wear that fall protection so that we recover from the fall without hitting the ground and killing ourselves. And so again, finding those energies where that where employees are confronted uh, with those energies, those high hazard energies and building controls into those encounters is something that we need to do and something that is much more difficult, I think, than simply walking around identifying non-compliant conditions. Okay, my final note. I, I guess I said I was closing, so I, and uh, that's always typically incorrect when I get on a roll. So um, Plato must have been a safety professional. I don't know if you're familiar with the philosopher Plato. I am certainly not intimately familiar with Plato, but my son is a, uh, uh, philosophy major and uh, interested in philosophers, but his name comes up a lot in safety and health practices. And initially, one of the things that Plato said was silence gives consent. And I have appropriated that saying for safety and health. I don't think it was initially intended to be a safety and health commentary. I think it was more of a social justice commentary at the time. But I use that phrase, silence gives consent, a lot when I talk to people and employees and employers and the fact that if we see something unsafe uh, being conducted or a behavior that we are aware is probably unsafe and we don't say anything about it, we have ultimately given our consent for it, whether we are a manager or a coworker or whatever the case might be. So silence gives consent. I think that's something that Plato said that is really useful for us. The second one was brought up in this book that I'm reading, and he says, uh, more bad things can happen than will happen. And this is Plato's uh, commentary on uncertainty. And that is a really interesting comment because in our workplaces, most days, 
work occurs and we don't have bad incidents or bad consequences. Employees are making mistakes, certainly. Errors are being made every day, probably in our workplaces, and employees are adapting to changing conditions, ever-changing conditions, but we don't usually have bad outcomes. Uh, Only occasionally is there this perfect storm of conditions, events, where we ultimately have these catastrophic outcomes. Those are nearly impossible, if not impossible, to predict and certainly difficult to prevent. And so this comment, more bad things can happen than will happen, is absolutely true. And so again, I think Plato's opining about workplace safety and health is very apparent. And uh, ultimately, he was probably a safety officer at the university where he taught or whatever the case might be. So um, I would recommend that you check this book out. Again, I guess I'm a Conklin fan. I like his teachings. I like his writings. Uh, His style resonates with me. So I've been listening and reading a lot of of Todd's books and uh, YouTube videos. Um, I would be interested in anybody or anything that you are reading or listening to related to safety that uh, you would recommend because I'm always interested in expanding my scope and breadth of uh, understanding this stuff. But uh, I think that's enough for today. Um, I think that is really food for thought. Um, give that some, give that some thought and let me know what you think about compliance bias, compliance fatigue, uh, prevention bias and recovery bias and the different aspects of those considerations as they apply to our workplaces. So anyway, that's it for today. Uh, next week we're on vacation. I'm going to be out. Uh, my wife and I are going to Colorado to visit our, one of our sons. And so there won't be an episode next Friday. We'll either send something out or repost something that might be worth listening to again. And the week after that, we'll be back in the studio with guests. So I hope you had a good week uh, and have a great weekend. Recharge to the extent that you're able and get back back at it next week. Um, This is uh, definitely worthwhile activity. What we are doing is important. So keep it up and uh, keep reading, keep Um, listening, keep expanding your horizons, and uh, we will talk to you again in two weeks. So thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon. Get down to a ball game if you can. Uh, Participate in some type of an event that isn't focused solely on you if you can. And um, take care. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. A Huda Media Production.